amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. The Chilean British Radio. The only Chilean radio in English. for you today. What are we talking about today, Mary? We're going to be talking about British artists. Yeah, so some famous acts, British acts, people, bands uh, that are very popular, not only in the UK, but around the world. Exactly. So they were founded in the music industry, but became icons. Yeah. So I think we've tried to choose a, uh, a collection of different artists. I think you will have heard of most of them, as they are very popular. Especially Chile, I find. Compared to other South American countries, I feel Chile does listen a lot to British music. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that, actually. You hear it all the time. Yes, well, yeah. let's see if you've heard of this one. Here is Oasis, Some Might Say.
That was Oasis, some might say. Yeah, so a very famous band there. Uh, but we do have some unfortunate news on the Brit's Eye View radio show. Unfortunately, Mary is going back to England yes. on Sunday. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to all my fans, I apologise. I'm flying back to Blighty. <laughs> Yeah, the millions of fans will meet you at the airport to yes. uh, wave goodbye. Yes, <laughs> I'll leave my flight number if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna greet me. If you wanna send in some <laughs> gifts, <laughs> chocolates, <laughs> send them on through. <laughs> yes, this will be our last show, unfortunately. But yeah. who knows what the future holds? Yeah, but uh, you've had a very good time in Chile, haven't you? I have. Yes, I've really made the most of it. It's yeah. a very beautiful country. Lots to do, lots of nature. If you want to get out of Santiago, um, have you have you been out of Santiago recently? Oh well, uh, this weekend I went to La Quebrada de Macul in Macul. <laughs> what? <laughs> As the name suggests. <laughs> yeah, it's a what kind it of like? kind of natural park uh, with the mountains and the forests, um, and also. A, a waterfall at near the top of the mountain. Not the top, not the very top, but you have to walk about two hours to reach the waterfall. It's not a very big waterfall, has to be said, but <laughs> it is uh, very nice. And it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. Oh, deep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, I'm going to miss the hiking. I think I'll fit in one last hike before I go home. Yeah, it's really a good place for nature yeah. Chile, isn't it? there's so so many places to explore and na- natural parks the thing about this park is it's actually quite close to Santiago it's like you just take a bus for about less than an hour yeah and you reach it and it's such a contrast to the city yeah. and it's nice to to get out of the city you kind of get caught up in all the buildings and everything you forget it's surrounded by mountains 
So it does have the best of both worlds. You've got mountains yeah, and definitely. beach. So yes, I'm going to recommend Chile highly when I get back. Yeah, definitely great to get out of the city, get into nature. Mm, absolutely. So we just listened to some Oasis. So let's talk a little bit about Oasis. So when did they get together? So they founded in Manchester in the early 90s. Thanks to songwriter and guitarist Noel Gallagher and his younger brother Liam, who was a singer. And they formed the band with guitarist Paul Arthurs and drummer Tony McCarroll and bassist Paul McGeegan. <laughs> but actually none of the other members remain with Oasis. So some people say the band is really just the Gallagher yeah, Brothers. This I is thought the, it was. an important part of the band, the Gallagher Brothers. Yes. And the group's first album, Definitely Maybe, came out in 1994 when I was born. <laughs> a great <laughs> year. <laughs> a great year for everyone. It was a massive success in the UK, uh, grafting the Beatles' sense of unstoppable melody on top of energised multi-track guitars. Definitely Maybe was the epicentre for the Britpop movement. So kind of smart, young English bands that drew from previous UK bands but added a contemporary spin. Mm. So this kind of new, new wave of... British music, this yeah. Britpop. Kind of new era for young people. They kind of set the trend. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool mm. Britannia kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And the band's crossover success in America occurred with their next album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, released a year after Definitely Maybe. So it built on that melodic power in that album and just kind of evolved and they made it big in America. Yeah, and that contains the hits Wonderwall, Don't Look Back in Anger. These are the ones we know, right? Yeah. These are the big ones. The <laughs> These big boys. are the ones you recommend. Wonderwall is the song that the uh, guy with the acoustic guitar at a party will yeah. always play. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh God, not him. Um, Who invited that kid? <laughs> he's not going to play Wonderwall, is he? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, wax out the guitar. And Don't Look Back in Anger is kind of what you shout out before you leave the club. Yeah. It's like one of the last when songs they play. Have, uh, <laughs> drank a few little drinkies. You may be shouting, "Don't look back in anger." <laughs> Absolutely. And their third album was released in 1997 and sold more than 350,000 copies the day it was released. Wow. And by the end of the week, it had nearly doubled that number, making it English, England's fastest-selling album. Still to this day, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Did not um, know that. Why were they called Oasis? Well, back when they first started their band, Noel and Liam had a tour poster on their wall for the British group In, in Spiral Carpets. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> Whom Noel was a roadie for. So among the venues listed was the Oasis Leisure Centre. So they must have just took inspiration from the poster. Yeah, so just grabbed a random word. I thank God it wasn't Leisure Centre. That's all <laughs> I can say. I don't think they would have made that big in America if they had. <laughs> leisure Centre. You want to come to the Leisure Centre gig? Yeah, great. <laughs> so this is quite interesting. Their song, Shake Maker, it sounded so much like another song called I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing in Perfect Harmony, which was a 1971 hit that started out as a jingle for Coca-Cola. And the song Shaker Maker was so similar to this other song, the band had to pay damages, money to coca-cola a bit annoying oh my goodness coca-cola is very money grabbing yeah, it doesn't think, surprise me they had, have enough money already no let's sue oasis <laughs> so oasis did have a bit of a rivalry with another group 
in that decade. Yeah, so we're not going to say the name of the band yet. We're going to play a song by them and let's see if you can guess the name of the band. Okay, here's the song The Universal.
So, did you guess who it was? If you guess, you get a free um, packet of <laughs> manka. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't get anything. <laughs> just so you don't have to read the small print. Yeah, just, just to clarify, <laughs> we're not giving anything to you if you got that right. <laughs> just you get feel a pride. Sense of pride yes. A sense of satisfaction. Feel proud of yourself if you guessed. Blair. Yes, Blair. They had a famous rivalry with the British band, band Blur. Yes. So, originally called Seymour, the group was formed in London in 1989 by vocalist and keyboardist Albon, along with guitarist Graham Coxon and bassist Alex James, with drummer Dave Roundtree, joining the lineup shortly afterward. And after performing a handful of gigs and recording a demo tape, the band signed to Food Records, which was a subsidiary of EMI, a very big record label. Mm. So what was their breakthrough album? So they had a couple of albums beforehand, but the the real one that really broke through was um, released in April 1994. It was uh, that's when I was born again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was April. a very good year, wasn't <laughs> it? Was it was a great time. <laughs> Well, the album was Park Life, and it entered the charts at number one and catapulted the band to stardom in Britain. Yes, the stylized new wave dance pop single Girls and Boys entered the charts at number five, and the single managed to spend 15 weeks on the US charts. And peaked at number 52, but the album never really cracked the charts properly. It was a completely different story in England, however as Blur had a string of hit singles including the ballad To The End and the mod anthem Park Life. Yes, and Blur released Country House, the first single from their new album in August, amidst a flurry of media attention because Albon had the singles released move, release moved up a week to compete with the release of Roll With It, a new single from Blur's chief rival, Oasis. Yeah, this is very famous. It was dubbed The Battle of Britpop. It was a chart battle. And it even appeared on the TV news. Yes. So it was a battle of top of the pops, right? Yeah, or kind of who sold the most signal singles or who could stay at the top of the charts for... Mm-hmm. Who could who could reach number one. Really. Yes. So you had these two songs, Roll With It and Country House. And, you know, people had their different sides. Like Blur's better, Oasis is better. Absolutely. And it was kind of a north-south divide as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because Blur being sort of from London and... The others from Manchester is kind of, it was a battle of cities as well. Yeah, it also has a kind of class element with Blur being the kind of posher, university educated, more artsy, mm-hmm. more cultured, more intelligent rock. Whereas Oasis is the more like salt of the earth, tough guys. Yes. They don't take any nonsense. Absolutely. They're just playing their rock music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort interesting. Bad boys. Yeah, the bad boys, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not messing around. Yep. Yeah, so definitely a kind of geographical divide and a cultural divide and a class divide. So it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Kind of what they represented. Yeah. Mm. But I've seen a, a few people say that this whole thing was very kind of uh, manufactured, created by the music industry to just sell more records. And it wasn't mm. really that much of a rivalry. It was more just a, uh, a manufactured rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's Whatever sells. To think about. So, who won the battle? So, it's often said that Blur won the battle, and their country house won the the chart battle, but Oasis won the war with their 
what's the story? Morning Glory album selling much better than than Blur's albums. Yep. So Blur continued to adapt their musical style. So they released several critically acclaimed albums in the late 90s and early noughties, including 13 and Think Tank. And after a more than 10-year hiatus, Blur reunited in 2015 and released The Magic Whip, their eighth studio album. Yes, and it received acclaim from music critics and debuted as number one on the UK album charts. And Damon Albarn, the lead singer of Blur, is also active in his virtual band Gorillaz, mm. also very popular. So, uh, you know, people say that Oasis won the war, Blur won the battle. But in a way, I think over time it's shown that Blur's won the war, the bigger war. Mm. Because Damon Albarn is, um, he has gorillas and Blur has reunited, whereas Oasis, they have some solo projects, don't they? But Blur seem to be the kind of bigger bigger force right now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So maybe we can say that Blur actually won overall. Yes. <laughs> they also experimented with lots of different styles and lots of different kind of creative genres, whereas mm. Oasis more. I think Oasis kind of ride, uh, rode the sort of fame wave yeah. and kind of just got success from that. And yeah, the brothers have kind of gone solo now, whereas, yes, Blur kind of evolved. Blur were part of Britpop, but then they definitely evolved into different musical genres I know mm-hmm. gorillas of course completely different genres yeah. like hip-hop and electronic music yeah and all, they're sort all of growing of elements growing yeah, so with the interesting. Mm. Yeah. let's have another song shall we yeah so the next song we've got is nick drake one of these things first Oh, 
That was Nick Drake. One of these things first. Very relaxing. Yeah, so kind of zoned out.、Uh, this is one of my favourite artists, although he is a lesser-known British musical icon, but he's still hugely influential and important.、Uh, definitely one of my favourites, though. Yes, and he was raised principally in the English village of Tamworth in Arden. Played the saxophone and clarinet in school. And took up guitar at the age of sixteen, and began writing songs two years later. So very, very sort of musically talented to begin with. Yeah, he was definitely a kind of、uh, musical genius.、Um, found playing instruments very easy.、Mm. And in 1968, he was discovered at a London performance by Ashley Hutchings of the folk rock group Fairport Convention, and shortly thereafter signed a contract with Arden Records. Yeah, so、um, I think he went to a, a boarding school. He was from quite a, a posh family, and after boarding school, he went to Cambridge.、Uh, but I think he he dropped out of Cambridge because he wasn't really he was too too busy、um, 
playing music, <laughs> playing play music, and he wasn't interested in studies. I think he spent a lot of time just uh, smoking weed and playing guitar. <laughs> That's how he spent his whole um, academic career. So I think eventually he dropped out of Cambridge, um, but he had quite a rocky, rocky mental health. Mm. So he was always adverse to performing live. Uh, Drake, by 1970, had given it up entirely. He sank into prolonged periods of depression and grew increasingly reclusive. Yes, but he did record his final album, Pink Moon, for 1972. So, Yeah, he recorded it entirely alone and checked himself into a psychiatric institution for several weeks shortly after its completion. So it sounded like he had a lot of anxiety with the success. Yeah, well... That he actually was so shy that when he performed live, he didn't look at the audience. He just looked uh, down at the floor, down at his hands or his feet. Uh, so, so people loved his music. Um, they enjoyed going to see him live, but he didn't give a very good performance because he was very shy, very yeah. anxious. I think that's so important with being in the music industry. You have to also be a performer. I think yeah. a lot of people that really take to music or have a gift or are very creative, you know, they can write songs or play an instrument. But, you know, if you if you become a success, it's no good if you have to perform on stage yeah. in front of millions of people. That's another skill entirely. It's very tragic because Nick Drake, he had the musical talent, but he was the complete opposite of a performer. He did not... He was very socially anxious and... He didn't like being the centre of the attention. And if you're a very talented musician, <laughs> then you're going to be in the centre of the attention. Yeah. That's the nature of of what you're doing. Yeah, this happened to other musical artists, such as um, George Michael. He oh, really yeah. hated... He kind of put on this facade. Yeah, I, I watched a documentary and it was very much... He kind of had to act like someone yeah. else. So it right. was just a... Yeah, just wasn't himself. Yeah, and I think Nick, he he struggled with that. He couldn't really pr- do this persona of a mm. confident and amazing performer. So, yeah, a very depressing life, really. Yeah. And um, it has a, a tragic end. After recording a few more songs in late 1974, he died at his parents' home from an overdose of antidepressant medication. So the coroner considered him a likely suicide, though some friends and family disagreed with the assessment. Well, I suppose if you're overdosing on antidepressants, maybe you wanted to get better. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting to read. topic. Um, some of his family swear that he didn't commit suicide and they were saying he was in a better mood um, towards his suicide. And they say he didn't commit suicide. He was just trying to take the pills to to keep feeling good and to progress with his um, music career because he was going to go back into the studio and record more music at that time. He mm. was practising more music. But but I guess depression comes in waves, so maybe one day yeah, he thought this true. and the next people Very give up. True. So, I mean, none of his albums sold particularly well while he was alive, but it continued to uh, be discovered by new fans after his death and performed by other singers. Yeah, and it really started in the in the early 21st century. His songs began appearing in films and television shows and commercials, bringing a new level of awareness to his music. And right now, he's he's pretty famous right now. But in his day, it's no. like Van Gogh. Yeah, same exactly, with him. Exactly. Yes. Like Van Gogh. It's very sad. You wish they could just. 
pop back and realize, you know, yeah, how good they were. I wonder if seeing the success that he had after his death would mm. make him happy, or we'll never know. We'll, we'll never, know. never know. It's Aww. very depressing. But it's a bit depressing. So this will cheer you up a bit of Amy Winehouse. <laughs> She's a cheery bird. So let's put, put on tears dry on their own. So that was Amy Winehouse with Tears Dry on Their Own. Yes. What an artist. And another artist that did have a bit of a bleak end. 
Yeah, watch some of these. I'm sorry what, if we're bumming you out. <laughs> quite depressing. It's our last episode, so <laughs> we don't get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um... So, well, we'll start from the start. So, she was born in London uh, in 1983, um, and she broke into the music business uh, when she reached 16. A classmate passed on her demo tape to a record label, and she signed her first record deal as a jazz vocalist. And her music later blossomed into an eclectic mix of jazz, pop, soul and R&B. Quite a mixture, yeah. Yeah, but she has such a distinctive voice that I think she can go from genre to genre yeah, and you still know it's her. Definitely. I think some artists kind of flip between you know classical pop, rock and do different styles, and but they don't have that distinctive voice or they change it to match the, yeah, the music. She kind of stayed very true her vocals I think quite interesting how young she got into the industry at 16 I didn't know it was that young but yeah Absolutely. that must be a very strange experience to be signed to a music label when you're only 16 yeah. years old I think that's what's so difficult with arts and careers and music and things like this you have to kind of crack the industry from a young age and this yeah. can cause problems later in life because They've had all this fame and money at an age where they don't know how to use it and they get into trouble. Absolutely. So, her debut album, Frank, in 2003, was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, as well as two Brit Awards for Best Female Solo Artist and Best Urban Act and hit double platinum status. Yeah, so pretty much immediately successful Mm. um, from the first album. Absolutely. She must have been very young when she released this. Yeah. But during this time, Winehouse began developing a reputation as an unstable party girl, often showing up to her club or TV performances too drunk to sing a whole set. Yes, she also started a tumultuous on-again, off-again relationship with music video assistant Blake Fielder-Civil, who admitted to introducing Winehouse to hard drugs. And in public, the couple's arguments often devolved into fistfights and dramatic scenes. And in private, their romance centred around drugs, alcohol and physical abuse. So in the public eye, she was always on the cover of magazines, um, kind of just stumbling in the streets. They kind of became a parody, the sort of disaster couple, um, which obviously doesn't set a good example and were just kind of rowdy and just always on drugs, basically. Yeah, it's pretty sad, isn't it? But... um I definitely remember this time because unlike some of these artists, we were alive during this time, weren't we? We were, yes. yeah. <laughs> we, we were just at school. I don't, re- I didn't really understand the gravity of the situation at the time, yeah. they, but um, there were a lot of jokes going round and just anything to do with sort of hard drugs and things would sort of go back to Amy, and she just developed this very bad reputation. Yeah, definitely had a reputation. But it's sad because it's obviously his influence mainly. I would say. Yeah, I don't really know much about this guy, uh, Blake Field, a civil. Sounds like a bit he of He went a... to prison, right? No. I mean, sounds like he should go to yeah. prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if he's not in prison, he should be. <laughs> we have spoken. We're going to send them out. So you better run, Blake. <laughs> anyway, by 2006, her management company finally suggested that Winehouse enter rehab for alcohol abuse. And instead, she dumped the company and turned the experience into the lead single for her second critically acclaimed album, Back to Black. Great song. Yeah, the song Rehab. Tried to make me go to rehab. I said, no, no, no. (laughs) 
very good, very good impression. Uh, Thank you. It, and the song addressed her refusal to receive treatment for the substance abuse, and it became a top ten hit in the UK. I mean, silver linings, but also get help. Yeah, maybe you should have gone to rehab. Yeah. But a good yeah. song, good song. We'll it's a good off. song, and in the song she's giving all these excuses, isn't she? She's saying like, um, "16 days is too long. I need to do this. I'm just fine being at home." Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like psychologically, like mm. you have this song that's she's kind of proud of it, but at the same time, yeah, I think she's it making also excuses. it shows a sort of timeline, and she was obviously in the midst of her addiction at this point. If she was refusing to go to rehab. Um, and telling everybody she won't, and just continuing doing her thing, you can tell that the problem kind of obviously denial, became denial yeah. of alcoholism as well. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't just sort of a, this um, image that she wanted to upkeep, or this you know pressure from her boyfriend. This was actually a sign, I think, that she was addicted. Definitely. Yeah. Sadly, at the end of her life, Winehouse's enormous talent was overshadowed by her addiction to drugs and alcohol. And the singer died tragically on July 23rd, 2011, at the age of 27. Yep, from accidental alcohol poisoning. Um, part, member of the at 27 Club, you know, these artists that all died. No, I don't know this. This is like a conspiracy thing? Yeah, it's like um, all the different artists that died from suicide or drug abuse. A lot of them died at 27. I think Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix... Janice wow. Joplin, maybe. I had no idea they died so young. Amy Winehouse, yes. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much club. they did with their careers. Yeah, in such little time. Twenty-seven, and they've made such an impact on, on yeah. music. I think it's a shame how this does contribute to somebody being an icon. Sometimes, yeah, it um, definitely increases young. their fame. Mm. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Having a tragic end does kind of, or a suspicious end, like a lot of music artists. It's not always clear how they died as well, which adds a, yeah. a morbid curiosity to it, I think. Yeah, and then you get all the debates of people who believe one thing, people who believe another. Absolutely, and it's just cause for debate and chat, isn't it? Which we love to do. We love a good gossip. <laughs> but um, there's no denying that she was a very talented woman. Yeah, of course. I, I do enjoy taken, her music. Taken from us too young. Yes. God bless you, Amy. National treasure. National <laughs> treasure, yeah. So, now we're going to give you another national treasure. We've got the Smiths. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. And twine, pass me by, and heaven knows I'm miserable. 
was the smiths heaven knows i'm miserable now another cheery song we'll try and cheer you up i promise <laughs> we're just very sad because it's our last show yeah so forgive that, us that explains it yeah but the smiths were arguably one of britain's most influential rock groups of the 80s they were founded in late 1982 and over the course of the next few months the group acquired a fanatical following thanks to iconic frontman morrissey and their idiosyncratic stage shows. Yes, and they rejected a deal with Manchester's own factory records, home to Joy Division, New Order, etc., and signed with London's Rough Trade Records instead. So their first single was Hand in Glove in 1983, and it made a big impact on the British indie scene, especially with its allusions to same-sex love, kind mm. of a taboo topic, yes. especially at the time. Yeah, very sort of futuristic and the band's next few singles saw the Smiths climbing the pop charts, indicating that the time was ripe for the group's distinctive sound, inspired by punk and 60s pop and driven by guitars. Mm. And Meat is Murder entered the charts at number one in early 1985, showing off Morrissey's vegetarian beliefs and his antipathy for the Thatcher's government. Yeah, they weren't big fans of no. Margaret Thatcher, who was... Prime Minister at the time. 
Mm-hmm. So they kind of showed their political ideals in their music, which is quite an iconic attribute. Yeah, by the time of 1986's The Queen is Dead, the group had uh, regained momentum from before and even managed to carve out a niche in the USA. The Queen is Dead would originally have been named Margaret on the Guillotine, <laughs> another stab at Mrs. Thatcher, but the title was rejected by the record company. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> they should have called it that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to rival Toby up. We've got to get this show more controversy. <laughs> After a couple of well received singles, including the controversial Panic, another compilation, The World Won't Listen, was released in early 1987 with a further compilation, Louder Than Bombs, released in the US, although they had arguably reached their popularity peak by now. So Morrissey and Johnny Marr, the songwriters and primary members of the Smiths, they didn't actually get along that well anymore, and Marr announced his decision to leave the Smiths just before the release of late 1987's Strange Ways, Here We Come. And Morrissey subsequently jumped ship to pursue a solo career and the Smiths broke up. I actually watched an interview recently with Morrissey, um, a recent one, and he kind of talks about how the group kind of fell apart and they didn't actually get along that well. It's just because they were so young when the band started, they didn't really know what they were doing or getting into, which is quite sad. Yeah, quite sad. You'd think because they were in a band, they'd be be friends, but... No, and even worse, Andy Rourke and Smith drummer Mike Joyce, they filed a lawsuit against Martin Morrissey in 1996, demanding a redistribution of the royalties, the money that they got from writing the songs. Yes, they felt the group's songwriters received a disproportionately big share of the royalty income. So Joyce and Rourke, who pulled out of the lawsuit before the final verdict, actually won the rather sad case... (laughs) And consequently, a Smith's reunion doesn't seem very likely. If it does happen, I'll be sat there with popcorn. (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't seem very likely that they'll get back together after all this lawsuit Mm. and deciding they hate each other and trying to get money from each other. They sound like they're on quite bad terms. Absolutely. I think when you put so many creative people together... It's very rare that bands don't end up splitting up because a lot of people just look at the lead singer or, you know, the person at the front of the band and the others, it must be hard for them because, you know, maybe they want the fame or maybe others don't. Might have a little bit of an inferiority thing going on with the bassist and the drummer because... When you think of the Smiths, you just think about Johnny Marr and Morrissey, don't you? Yeah, I think Morrissey definitely stole the limelight. He was rather good looking for his day, I reckon. (laughs) <laughs> I obviously I wasn't born so it'd be a bit strange but <laughs> I think my mum liked him <laughs> yes. okay, so the last song what song have we got well we're going to play you some Smiths now and we're going to play There is a Light That Never Goes Out
It's a very sad moment <laughs> on the show today. This is a very depressing show. <laughs> because we are saying goodbye to the wonderful Mary, who's going back to the UK very shortly. It's very sad. But um, we've had a great time on the show, haven't we? We have, yeah. It's, it's been really lovely. It's been fun. Let's think about some of those golden moments we shared together we're now just having a flashback you can't see because it's the radio play the clip (laughs) yes it was uh lovely i can just see us in slow motion in black and white now (laughs) laughing about kings being killed and kings being killed music talking over each other (laughs) stealing each other's lines stealing the lines for each other yeah that's classic Oh, but yeah, it's been very enjoyable. Oh well, um, what's been your favourite thing about Chile? <laughs> um, my favourite thing about Chile, oh, uh, I really like empanadas. <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing I thought of. Maybe I'm hungry. Who knows? <laughs> I, think, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, the red, blue, and white of the flag. It makes me feel <laughs> like I'm home from home. 
Uh, all right. <laughs> very, very patriotic. Here on the Chilean British Radio. Yeah, the Chilean we British like to, Radio. We like to find things in common. What um, about you, Toby? Well, um, um, I want to ask you one more thing. Is What are you looking forward to the most when you go back to the UK on Sunday? Oh, goodness. Well, I'll actually land on the Monday, so oh, I'll, Monday. I'll miss my Sunday dinner, which is sad. Right. Um, I think I'm looking forward to seeing my family. Ah, yes. Very sweet. Oh, this is really <laughs> sad. <laughs> Can we get some happy my... music on? Yeah. <laughs> Let's put some more Smiths on. Let's put celebrate on. Get some baby wine out. Celebrate good. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, but, um, thanks for listening. If anyone's listening, thanks very <laughs> if much. Thanks very much for listening to Chilean British Radio. Yeah. <laughs> They're That's all our really fans. Mean. You didn't know, but we're actually in a live studio with 500 people. <laughs> yeah. They're all uh, cheering for us now. Oh, thanks. Oh, people on the street have started to join in. Oh. <laughs> people are giving me flowers and chocolates. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is so nice. Oh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, stop it. Oh, fan. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is too much. This is too much. Honestly. <laughs> so where do we go from here <laughs> oh, I don't know I think I'm just going to sit down and eat these chocolates um, <laughs> would you like to join me <laughs> the sad music keeps going so I feel like I should say some more sad stuff okay go on then <laughs> um, <clears throat> Chile it's been real um, thanks for everything and uh, godspeed <laughs> godspeed Oh, there we go. Happy music. <laughs> oh, it's over. Listening to the Chilean British Radio. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 